How is it going, Bears fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Bear Down Podcast, where we talk everything Bears every day of the week. I am your host, Chris Malpe, and today I am joined with my co-host, Parth Shaw. Parth, how's it going, buddy? Doing good. You know, I just got back home. Uh, picked up some Chipotle for dinner, so it's good. Can't complain with that. Uh, and we're also joined today with contributor on BearDown.com, Townsend Driggs. How's it going, Townsend? No, it's got a little swell as it can. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, and we are joined with a very special guest today. Uh, he's currently a CBS football analyst. Uh, he's also a two-time Super Bowl champ, has had some stints with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Arizona Cardinals. Welcome to the show, Bryant McFadden. How's it going, Bryant? What's up, guys? Thank you for joining us today. Good. How you doing? We're doing good. So today with Bryant, we're going to be talking all things Bears, also going to be discussing his career, which included two Super Bowl wins. So let's just hop right into it. So, Bryant, obviously, before we started recording, I talked to you a little bit about this, but you recently said that your favorite offseason move in the NFC North was the Bears trading for Nick Foles, obviously sending a fourth-round pick down there to uh, Jacksonville. So now, since you've said that, it's been declared an open competition. Who do you think's the week one starter, Mitchell Trubisky or Nick Foles? I think Mitchell Trubisky will start off as the week one starter. And the reason why I'm saying that, guys, is because of the difficult offseason that every NFL program has been currently going through. Um, You know, Nick Foles is an experienced quarterback. He's been around the game of football for quite some time. But I think just getting to Chicago and not being able to get on the grass with all his offensive teammates is going to prevent the opportunity to, for him to be comfortable enough to be the week one starter. And I think with Trubisky being more familiar with the offense, or more familiar with the personnel that is surrounding him, that gives him a few steps to be ahead of Nick Foles. Now, granted, you know, if training camp goes on, uh, on if training camp is on time and everything goes as scheduled, as planned, you know, Nick Foles will we'll have an opportunity to really show his work, and I think he will. But I think just the inability of not being able to get on the grads with the guys throughout OTAs, you know, the mini camps, and then leading up to training camp is going to provide a opportunity for Trubisky to be able to start the season off as a starter. Now, I could be wrong. You know, Trubisky could just lay an egg and then just totally not perform well throughout training camp and then preseason. That could happen also, but I'm just looking at this from the standpoint of seeing what Trubisky has done in the last few preseason opportunities, training camp opportunities, and remember the Stars really don't play that much. And I and I think, um, you know, looking at the preseason schedule, it's going to be, you know, kind of tapered down a little bit. There's not an opportunity, a lot of opportunity for Trubisky to screw up is what basically what I'm saying. I completely agree with you on that, especially because Trubisky and Allen Robinson have been like working out four times a week. That's what Robinson said today. Um, but my second question for you is, you were a part of two Super Bowl winning teams during your time with the Pittsburgh Steelers. What was it like playing on such a big stage, and how rewarding was it to come out on top? Oh, man, it was a, a dream come true. Um, yeah. You know, my rookie year, we went all the way to the promised land, and then we won. So, you know... I felt like I thought that was the standard. I thought every year I'm supposed to go to the playoffs. I mean, go to the playoffs yeah. and then go to the Super Bowl. So, and then in year four, we go right back and we win again. So I'm like, okay, 
have a two year a two year hiatus from playing the Super Bowl and then you go back. So I I didn't realize how difficult it was to get to the Super Bowl until probably like year five or year six of my career. Um, you know, when you talk to a lot of you know NFL vets and and players and guys who really haven't been a part of a outstanding team, they tell you how difficult just to get to the playoffs is. For me, I'm like, man, playoffs is a given. From where I come from, it was all about getting to the championship game, which is the Super Bowl. But to uh, you know, answer your question, playing the biggest stage, man, it's like whatever it is you love, right? You know, for everybody who's listening to us, for you guys who are currently on with me, whatever it is that you grew up loving, having an opportunity to fulfill that dream and then having an opportunity to play and perform in the pinnacle of what that dream is. You know, for us playing, growing football, you want to get drafted, you want to play in the Super Bowl. That is the pinnacle. That is the highest of the highs. You know, whatever it is, if you were an entertainer, you know, being able to get to a Grammys and win a Grammys, you know, whatever the case may be, getting to that level and then achieving it, especially your first year you know, in that area, was a dream come true. It was a surreal moment. And I compare both Super Bowls quite a bit, but the first one is always special because the first time you do anything that's a monumental opportunity in your life you never forget it mm-hmm. and for me it's the first one yeah i mean it makes total sense like i can imagine there's not really anything that truly compares but having been a part of so many uh great defenses particularly with the steelers um and those two super bowl teams uh you obviously know a lot about great defense um and the bears have had very good defense in the past two years um but having added Jalen Johnson, Robert Quinn, and Tashawn Gibson this offseason, do you think the Bears have now solidified themselves as being a top-five defense in the NFL? I think they should. I think they have the personnel to be able to do so. Uh, you know, we didn't see the same Bears defense we thought we would see in 2019 that we saw in 2018. Mm-hmm. That 2018 campaign, first year with Khalil Mack, man, was like, wow. I mean, they're back. You know, the Monsters of the Midway is the name they earned in the 80s, and they started to really show some of those flashes in 2018. And then it was a bit of a drop-off last year. And I don't think the offense helped them at all. Um, it seems to me the Bears' defense got tired. They they were fatigued, especially midway and, and towards the latter part of the last year, and it showed. But they still, uh, they still can be a dominating unit. And to talk about some of the names you mentioned, I'm a big-time Jalen Johnson fan. I think Jalen Johnson... And I, and I had an opportunity to talk with him leading up to the draft. When it comes to the above the shoulder game, he's one of the best corners that was available in this draft. And what I mean when I say above the shoulders, the mental part that he provides. The thing about Jalen that I love watching him at Utah, you can tell he can watch film, process it, and allow what he saw throughout the week of preparation to put himself in positions to be successful on game day. And that is a very, very rare thing to see from collegiate players, especially guys in the secondary, because nine times out of ten, these guys are just better athletes, and they just showcase their athleticism instead of showcasing both the athleticism and the brains, the instincts. He's a very, very cerebral corner, and you don't usually see that from young corners. And I think the Bears got a good one in Jalen Johnson. And also, he loves, he loves football. Um, I, I like the experience that Gibson will bring. Um, he's a guy that has always been known to be around the football. And I would love to see, though, me personally, how will Gibson and Eddie Jackson coexist? 
because mm-hmm. they're kind of like similar players. You know what I mean? Yeah. Eddie Jackson is phenomenal in space. He's phenomenal in the post. Uh, he 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 tackles well, but I think Eddie Jackson is more valuable when he's in space. And the same can be said for Gibson. You know, been known to be more of a free safety than anything. But I look, I would love to see exactly how they coexist. And the last thing I'm gonna say about this defense: one of the more important, underappreciated players, not just on the Bears defense, but in the National Football League, is Akeem Hicks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He is a guaranteed beast. <laughs> and I don't know why people, they don't give him the recognition, the the, 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 the the notoriety that he deserves. And he really showed his worth last year, guys. When he was out, the defense was not the same. And and I talked about the defense kind of getting fatigued and, 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 and not really flying around like we thought they would. And Aaliyah, the offense, put them in bad positions. But when they lost, when they lost Hicks, they went down the drain. Based on what we thought, based on the expectation. Man, listen, if he is healthy, he is the most important player on that defense, in my opinion. And the reason why I say that, he commands two blockers almost every time. And that allows other guys on the defense to show up and show out. And the most important player and the most valuable player are two different things. The most valuable player is Khalil Mack. Yeah. But the most important player, to me, based on what I saw in the absence of Hakeem Hicks, is Hicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously you can't block Hicks, Mack, and obviously the new addition Robert Quinn as well with 11 sacks there in Dallas in 2019. So going back to your career a little bit, obviously... We all know how that 2009 Super Bowl ended with Santonio Holmes making what may have been the best catch in Super Bowl history in the corner of the end zone. That's probably one of the first Super Bowls I ever remember watching. So I want to ask you, how difficult of a catch is that to make, and what was your reaction on the sideline when it happened? Man, only a few people can make that catch, you know, during that, in that critical moment. And Tone was a guy we always relied on, we always believed in. And the crazy part about it, our offense actually ran the same play, the opposite side of the football field. And I think Ben overthrew Tone, if I'm not <laughs> mistaken. But the thing that makes that play so unique was the catch is phenomenal. The toe tap is phenomenal. But the angle, the players that Big Ben had to get that ball over. If you look at the highlights, the slow motion, you saw literally three defenders in front of Santonio that Ben had to use the right height to be able to get the ball over them and then the drop of yeah. the ball being able to get the drop into Santonio hands. So, I mean, I remember we was watching on the sideline and uh, we went from believing we can get a field goal attempt to uh, tie the ball game to now we're going to end it because our <laughs> offense got in the flow, got in the rhythm. And just, man, standing there watching that play and being a part of that play, being a part of that ball game, and you just talked about that was one of the first rules you remember. You will always remember that play. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Because of what it meant for both ball clubs and at that time. You know, we we, we what, won the, the sixth Lombardi, became the first team to win six Lombardis in the National Football League. The Arizona Cardinals, a team that has always been searching for their identity, you know, didn't get a chance to win that big-time championship for that organization. And 
you know, now when you talk about the Steelers organization, before then, you were already talking about them as one of the more iconic NFL organizations ever. But they have their own place in history, being the first to ever win six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that goes up. That, that catch was phenomenal. And it goes up with uh, Edelman's and the helmet catch. The yeah. Giants had it, too. No doubt. Uh, we've talked a lot about your success in the playoffs. Now it's time to talk about the Bears' playoff hopes in 2020. There are seven teams from each conference with the new CBA. Do you think the Bears could sneak into the postseason this year? No question. It's all about the it's all about the quarterback play, the offense. Um, and I'm pretty sure you guys that love the Bears, all the Bear fans believe yeah. the defense oh, yeah. will be back to being one of the stout units in the National Football League. The only concern y'all have is quarterback offense. That's it. That has been y'all concerned concern over the last few years. And, you know, I don't want to go back and, 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 and throw salt on any wound, but when you go up to, you know, trade up to go get a guy in Mitchell Trubisky who only had 12 stars in the ACC, remember, at that time, he wasn't even the best quarterback in the ACC, it's like, okay, you're really rolling the dice. Yeah. And now it's like, when it's not working out, for fans, you're like, well, dang, are you really surprised? You know what I mean? Yeah. And for Trubisky, that's a lot of pressure, right? When you only had 12 stars and you get drafted to an organization like Chicago, you go to the Windy City, where sports are very, very important. We don't care anything about you only having 12 stars. We want to see number two overall type of production. Absolutely. And what makes it even more difficult for Trubisky is that his other quarterback peers that were in the same draft are balling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. That the thing. And that's what's really turning Chicago Bears fan to drinking is because you look at like, <laughs> wait, wait a minute. We could have stayed put and, and go get. Now we don't have to throw out Pat Mahomes. You know, he's an uh, outlier. He's a unicorn. He's one of one. But hey, we could have went and got a guy like Deshaun. Yeah. Yep. And be the cream of the crop of your division. So those are the uphill battles that Trubisky will always be tied to. And for Chicago fans, and you, we don't, you don't care anything about that. So, my expectation for Chicago, if they can find a way to be consistent offensively, to get some offensive, per, consistent offensive production at the quarterback position, granted it could be Trubisky or Nick Foles, I don't see why they cannot get into the playoffs. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't see why. And also, too, we really need a breakout year from David Montgomery. Thank you. Yeah. My goodness. Absolutely. We need a breakout year. We, we we don't need to see flashes here or there. We need to see some consistency. He has the skill set. He showed some things a year ago. But it's time for David Montgomery to show that, at best, he's the number two running back in the NFC North. And I think the number one guy is Dalvin Cook. No arguments there. Uh, we, we saw what Jones did at Green Bay. But Montgomery has the skill set to be just as dynamic as the guy, the Jones and Green Bay, but I'm not quite ready to say he can be as dynamic as Dabba Cook. Dabba Cook is a grown man. But, yeah, yeah Montgomery has to really show up this year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, going back a little bit to your career, um, another key play from uh, that Super Bowl was uh, James Harrison's uh, 100-yard interception return uh, for a touchdown. So how crazy was it being a part of that play? And do you think that goes down as one well of the best plays in Super Bowl history? Oh, man. It was crazy. You know, James wasn't actually supposed to be there. Um, <laughs> yeah. He wasn't actually supposed to be there. He, he was actually supposed to to uh, 
the blitz. He was he was a, a extra hat in the blitz uh, scheme we had going on. But something told James to step to step back, and luckily for us, he did because if he did not, they were basically running a pick play, something similar to what we saw with Seattle and mm-hmm. New England when Malcolm Butler picked off that play. And the way how they, they were positioned, there's a good chance they would have been open. They would have completed the play. Um, but with James jumping back, and if you ever listen to Kurt want to talk about that play, he had no idea that James was going to be where he was, and he hit him directly in the chest. But the most important part about that play outside of the interception was the return. Yeah. Right? Because at that time, I think we were getting ready to go into halftime. I think we might have had a six-point lead or... Something like that, I yeah. Know. I just remember it was the last play yeah, that I had. right. Yeah, it was maybe a six-point lead, so it was basically a 10-point turnaround in our favor because best-case scenario, worst-case scenario for Arizona, they kicked the field goal. I mean, it was a chip shot, basically, right? But so let's say worst-case scenario, Arizona kicks the field goal. With James intercepting that play and returning, we take away three points from Arizona and we put seven on for ourselves. Mm-hmm. That was huge. That yeah. was, I'm not going, I, I don't like saying one play can cause you to win or lose a ball game, but that play definitely put us in prime position to win. Yeah, uh, it really is. All the momentum switched in our favor after that. Yeah, it's a game of inches. No kidding about that. Uh, Bears fans would know with the double doink. But, um, yeah, so uh, a few analysts, and by a few I mean uh, Ryan Clark of ESPN has come out recently and said that Bears wide receiver Allen Robinson isn't an established wide receiver one in this league. And Robinson is coming off a year where he compiled over 1,100 receiving yards on just under 100 catches. So I want to ask on your thoughts uh, on Ryan Clark's take, and do you think that Allen Robinson is a wide receiver one in today's league? Uh, Yeah, I I do. Um, I do, and the reason why I feel that way is for a guy, and I had Allen Robinson one of my fantasy teams last year, and it was uh, very, very difficult for me with him because of the unknown from the quarterback. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, That's the thing. That's the thing you got to look at with Allen Robinson, right? He gave 1,100 yards, you said, with seven touchdowns. I think he averaged around 11 yards per reception or something like that mm-hmm. with the – the, 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 the issues from Trubisky, the efficiency issues, I mean, the rhythm was never there. Those are real good numbers, in my opinion. I mean, the thing, the thing, the knock about Allen Robinson, if you want to talk about some of the injuries, okay, cool. But Allen Robinson has never been a part of a quarterback that we would consider as a top 15 quarterback in the National Football League. Yep. Yeah. Even in Jacksonville. That huge breakout year, I think it was year two in Jacksonville, was went crazy. Man, he, he had like around 1,400 yards for Blake Borders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no Blake kidding. Blake Borders. You know what I mean? So I know some people might might have felt his first year in Chicago was a disappointing year. Um, You know, not giving him the, the numbers in yards, uh, including not giving the numbers in receiving touchdowns. But, hey, ever since he's been in Chicago, the quarterback has been one of the main big-time question marks on the offense. So if you give Allen Robinson just consistency from the quarterback, he can give you the quarter, the wide receiver one type numbers. I think, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because he's a he's a a talented guy. He has the size, he has the speed, he has reliable hands. The issue with Allen Robinson is not 
directly pointed at him. It's about who is throwing him the football. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, going from Blake Bortles to then Mitchell Trubisky is the best situation possible. But going back to your career, um, the two biggest plays of your career arguably came in the 2006 Divisional Playoffs against the Colts with two massive pass deflections um, coming when you were lined across from Reggie Wayne. What was it playing like playing against Reggie Wayne and one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Peyton Manning? Man, you talk about pressure? <laughs> Man, listen, man. Pr- pressure, man. Pressures is something that a lot of people say they want, but you don't necessarily want all the time or certain times. And when it comes to ball games, um, that ball game, and I tell people all the time, if you go back in history and watch the Colts throughout 2005 regular season, I think they're one of the best teams in the NFL history to not get to a championship ball game. They were paid. They were 14 and two, um, number one seed, I think, in the AFC. Great year from Peyton Manning. That office alone has four Hall of Famers. Yeah. Right? Reggie will get in at some point in time. Reggie will get in. So I'm counting him already as getting inducted. Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Peyton Manning, Edger and James. Yeah. Think about that. Think about that. So going back to your initial question, for me, we went from celebrating, talking so much trash to their fans, to knowing that our offense pretty much is going to seal the game. Even though the Colts had three timeouts, we're probably going to score a touchdown. We're on the one-yard line with Jerome Bettis. It's going to be game time. From talking crazy to the fans and then hearing their fans go crazy because we were watching the actual game action. We were talking. We were heckling their fans, and they automatically just went crazy. And we turn around, we see Nick Harper running with the football. So I want you guys to put yourself in that yeah. that I'm describing. You're on part of the Steelers defense. You're talking fans to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, you're talking crazy to the fans, talking so much trash to them because you believe the game is over because we got an experienced offense on a one-yard line with the bus <laughs> and you know they're going to run the football. There's no Pete Carroll throwing the corner for <laughs> a pass with us, right? <laughs> so we're talking crazy to their fans and instantly their fans just go to jump. They're jumping for joy. So we're looking like, what happened? We turn around and we're thinking maybe we scored, but we see Nick Harper running towards midfield with the football. Then you hope, like, oh, my goodness, he's about to score. And then somehow Big Ben grabs a shoelace, whatever it was, and got him down. And then all we hear is defense, you're up. No, we're not supposed to be up right now. So we trot on the football field. And I think they were in our territory. I think they were across the 50. Um, but – we trot, we trot on the football field in a state of shock. And guess who's went on the football field for them? The sheriff. Freaking Peyton Manning. Yeah. And you know a field goal would tie the game for them, but you know good and well Peyton is not trying to tie the game. Yeah. Because our back is against the wall. But we're in a state of shock, and I remember James Ferrius looking to the sideline, and our coaches, our defensive coaches are in a state of shock because they couldn't get a call into us. So James is like, yo, Dickie, Coach LeBeau at D.C., Dick LeBeau, he's like, Dickie, give me something, give me something, give me something, give me something. So we're all, all of us are in a state of shock. Our entire huddle was quiet because we couldn't believe, we're not believing what just happened and where we are currently at on the football field. So now we run out, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, shit. Because we did a pretty good job in disguising certain things with Pink Bennett. We had lots of success with our blitz packages and things like that. But in my mind, I'm like, I know exactly what he's going to football. I'm the only rookie on our defense. 
Uh, everybody else is, is experienced, you know, big, played in big time ball games. There's a Hall of Famer at the quarterback position, and then his Hall of Fame like wide receivers on a rookie corner, second rounder. So in my mind, I'm like, Mac, please don't screw this up. Don't don't be the guy to let to let your teammates down. Just fight. Those few plays, it felt like it was only me. Reggie and Peyton on the football field. Nobody else. I saw nobody else. Everything was coming my my direction, it felt like. And I just remember thinking, like, find a way to gather yourself. Calm down. Find a way to gather yourself. But then it's like your nerves are kicking in because the, the, the type of ball game this is, yo. We dominated the entire ball game. And I didn't want to be the one to let to screw it up and go down in history as the guy who pissed down his leg from in a big moment and now not allowing his team, team to get the championship so the, the first play I think it was like a dig route I made a tackle and I just knew he was coming back my way and um, I remember listening to Peyton talk about that play I think they were trying to run a slant and go on me and uh, I was in man coverage I zone turned it and what I mean when I zone turn, I opened up playing off technique to be able to see the quarterback and that really put me in positions to be to be able to be successful, mm-hmm. in position to be successful, got sort of ball. And the thing about Reggie, man, Reggie's a guy that attacks the football all the time at the highest mo- at the highest point. And he literally was was scrapping to get that ball until we came down. And I didn't hear anything, guys, until I saw the ball laying on the grass, huh. turf next to us. And then the very next one, they came right back at me again. All I can say this much, I don't know how, I don't know what the maximum number of seconds you can hold your breath and not breathe but it felt like i held my breath i didn't breathe for like six seven minutes <laughs> it felt like six seven minutes but literally in game action it's probably only like maybe a minute 40 but it felt like it was six seven minutes that i was just holding my breath yeah yeah i'm sure that's that's not a situation you're you know, gonna be incredibly comfortable with it's one of those things you just got to go out there and you're nervous the entire time because you know it's coming to you and you're going to get some great players uh but obviously with your experience having been a quarterback um switching a little bit onto uh the bears again uh you you know you know a lot about the position um and you can analyze you know your average defensive back a lot better um than the typical analyst um so what are your thoughts? You've given it a little bit already, but on um, the Bears secondary with yeah, new additions, Jalen Johnson and Tashawn Gibson joining standouts, uh, Kyle Fuller and Eddie Jackson. And I, 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 lo- I love, you know, I love their secondary. I think for me, um, just how, like I said earlier, guys, you know, how will Gibson and Eddie Jackson coexist? Um, and then outside of that question regarding the secondary, you know, who's going to be the opposite corner star starting opposite of Fuller, right? Yeah. That, 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 that's, that's the broader question I have. Because um, the thing about Bust, Bust, Buster, you know, it seems like we value him more as a inside corner. Yeah, absolutely. Period. You know what I mean? I, and I think Chicago, when they brought him over from the Jets, if I'm not mistaken, that was that 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 they wanted him to re- basically replace Callahan. Yep, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and and Bryce man played some real good football for Chicago. Yeah, he kind of set the standard high for that nickel inside corner in Chicago's defense. And now, if you're talking about 
know, base defense, I would say if the Bears had to play a ball game tomorrow, Buster would be the starting cor- corner opposite of Kyle Fuller. Wow. Will he hold on to that? You know what I mean? And then when you go into your sub packages, your nickel and your dime, we know ultimately Buster moves in inside. So who moves outside? Like, will it be a guy like Jalen Johnson? Will he be able to be caught up to speed, not having, you know, OTAs and mini camps and things like that to be able to feel comfortable to be a starting, you know, corner, outside corner? Will it be Artie Burns? You know what I mean? So, you know, these are guys that uh, potentially could be in a run. And what about Kevin Tolliver? He played, you know, some last year. You know, a guy who has nice athleticism, he has the length, he has the height, the speed. You know, just gotta you know put it all together. So I think that that is the biggest burning question for me when I look when you look at the um the defense. You know, the secondary, primarily that cornerback position, opposite the Cowboys. Yeah, uh, you know, Kevin Tolliver is an interesting prospect there, and obviously with Chuck Pagano back there, you uh, you would hope that he could work some magic with a guy like a Jalen Johnson or an Artie Burns. So you recently spoke about that Colts game. And obviously brought up Jerome Bettis, who is a running back who totaled over 13,000 rushing yards in his career, and you got to play a year with him. So what was so special about the bus, and what was it like working alongside him? And more importantly, what was it like trying to tackle him? Man, the bus is a, was a great individual, a great human being. The thing about our team in 05, we had, a, we had a bunch of great human beings on our team. Not football players, just great people. And the bus is... He's one of the all-time greats when it comes to that aspect of his life. Um, and being able to be a part of the of his final year and winning a championship in his hometown is something that I will always be a, a, appreciate, you know, that ride, being around him and knowing he was going to go into the hall. Uh, for me, I'm happy I never really had to tackle Jerome. <laughs> in training camp back then, we used to do goal line. And anytime they put Jerome in during training camp, and training camp used to be it used to be a live goal line drill, full tackle all the way to the ground. I was lucky enough when I went in for my goal line reps, JB was out of the ball game. He wasn't <laughs> even in practice. So you know, Jay, we used to do one the ones on the versus the ones, which is the first team over the first team D, and then you know so on and so forth. So for me. I wasn't running with the first group. So when I went into the ball game, I mean, to practice for the goal line drills, man, JB was on the sideline chilling. So luckily <laughs> enough, I didn't never had an opportunity to uh, tackle or try to tackle JB. But, man, you know, when you talk, when you have, when your nickname is The Bus and you play running back, enough said. Sweetness isn't that bad of a running back nickname either. I mean, that, that is the best. That's one of the best nicknames in sports, I think. Yeah. Sweetness. Oh, yeah. Special sweetness. You, know, you won't have a debate about the best nicknames. you you got to throw sweetness in there. Yeah, for Absolutely. sure. Um, so for my last question, uh, you were a free safety at Florida State, but ended up playing Nickelback in the NFL. How tough of a transition was that to make? Well, actually, you know, I don't know where they, 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 they misprint that, but I actually played corner. Um, okay. At Florida State, the thing is, you know, I was versatile, so I played a little bit of everything. But uh, you know, primarily my last few years at at, uh, at Florida State, I was in a corner. But basically, to kind of to answer your question, still, when I went to Pittsburgh, they wanted to move me inside, and it was a little bit 
of kind of where we, I was talking about with Buster, you know, kind of being an inside guy and then playing outside. For me, I wasn't used to playing inside. And when you're playing inside, you know, it's more space you got to cover. You know what I mean? Then you also got to be involved in the running game. And that's why nickel cornerbacks are so important, especially in today's game, is because you're basically part of the base defense with these offenses coming out in three wide receiver sets and things like that. So when I got to Pittsburgh, it was – I, they they wanted me to play to be the out. They drafted me to be an outside corner, but they wanted to try me an inside corner at nickel and dime. And in my first my first camp, I mean, and my my head was was spinning because I was trying to learn the outside corner and learn the inside corner. And there's different responsibilities. And I respect corners that can play either or and do it at a high level because there are two different things that you're called to do at any given time, along with being involved in run support and being involved in sometimes the blitz concepts as well. So for me, it was just a learning experience. And ultimately, I played more outside than I did inside because, like I said, it's a lot to handle, especially as a young player. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, as you said, in the modern defense. Um, and really, ever since I would say the early 2000s and late 90s, it's been essential, and so many three quarterback sets are going to be out there. And having to deal with these shifty slot wide receivers and helping out in the running game. But uh, going back to uh, the Bears and a little bit about your career as well, um, you went one and zero against the Bears, uh, much to the three of our dismays. Um, <laughs> when you guys won in um, twenty one to nine in two thousand five. Um, yes, sir. With that being said, uh, you didn't obviously you didn't share the field at the same time with them. But you're spectating and playing against guys like Brian Urlacher, Charles Tillman, uh, and Lance Briggs. So what's it like watching those sorts of guys? And how would you kind of compare them um, to your Steelers defense, which was obviously an incredible defense as well? Yeah, that's a good question because um, back in my rookie year, and you know, I'm a rookie, so a lot of these guys that I played against, I, would, I, was, I was fans of, you know, watching them mm-hmm. in college or in high school. So I remember we played Chicago. It was a snowy game in Heinz Field. It was a very, very important game for us because we couldn't afford to lose any more ball games just to get to the playoffs. And, uh, you know, we always consider ourselves to be one of the best defenses in the National Football League. But that year in 2005, the Bears had a pretty nice defense as well with some of the names you just mentioned. Um, you know, Briggs, Erlacher, uh, Peanut, um, Alex Brown. Yeah. Um, Tommy Harris. Yeah, Mike Brown. Oh, I love Mike Brown. Mike Brown was a ball. Or if he could have stayed healthy, boy, he was a great one. He could have been a great one. Um, But watching that game, you know, we we were always fans of the game. So anytime we got a chance to see some of the great defensive players or great defensive units play against our offense, we would watch it. Now I remember just watching how big and physical that Chicago Bears defense was and just Erlacher, you know what I mean, one of the best – you know, do it all linebackers, I think, of our generation. You know, when you look at the expectations, of course, you know, you got to start and stop the conversation with Ray Lewis, but shoot, Erlach was ain't no pushover, you know what I mean? And just watching that game and then the elements of that game when it came to the weather provided to be mostly about defense, I think going into that game, guys, we wanted to outperform the Chicago Bears defense, and we were able to do so. But the respect that I had for Chicago Bears defense has always been one that I really – and I still respect to this day. You heard how hyped that was when I was talking about the defense. And, and unfortunately for Chicago Bears fans, you know, the next year, that defense got you to the Super Bowl. Yeah, we don't have you to bring the I mean? Colts up again. <laughs> yeah, we, 
it's just that it, 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 you know what's crazy about Chicago football. What? Um, as long as I can remember, your defense has always been a stand-up type of unit, but you always have issues at the quarterback position. Jay Cutler has been the Every best year. Chicago Bear, Bears quarterback in my generation. Yeah. yeah, probably since. And you, know, uh, and you know, a lot of Chicago fans dislike Jay Cutler, but I tell you this much: I take him over Mitch. Bears, no question. I was about to say the grass not always greener on the other side. You know what I mean? So. If you can put Jake Cutler with this group of guys defensively, oh yeah, yes, you would feel much better. So for some reason, y'all got to get it right in Chicago when it comes to quarterback position. Yeah, you got to uh, get it right. No yeah. kidding. So uh, obviously, in your second Super Bowl, you played against the Arizona Cardinals, and you ended up spending one year there, where you had uh, you ended up uh, racking up sixty nine tackles. And this is our last question for you. But how tough is it guarding a receiver like Larry Fitzgerald? You had to have guarded him at one point. Uh, you know, did so in a few times in, in matchups too. Man, Fitzgerald's man is the thing about Larry. You know how when you watch certain players, like as fans, when you watch the game, you know if this wide receiver he's a burner or this wide receiver is extremely quick and, and his short area quickness is phenomenal. The thing about Larry, he might not blow you away as being the best athlete on the football field. He just gets the job done. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can tell you this much. Mm-hmm. Larry Fitzgerald is probably the best shorthanded wide receiver of our generation. You can always count on, on him catching the football. And the thing about Larry, what makes it difficult in guarding him, he's a big guy and he knows how to use his body against you. He's like a, a outstanding rebounder in basketball. He can box you out as well as anybody. And he attacks the football as the highest point. And he's a very, very smart football player as well. He's a student of the game. So when you combine the instincts, the knowledge, along with the athleticism to be able to adjust to certain passes, attack the passes at the highest level, and the route running ability, along with the nice size, the nice measurables, and glue, he got basically glue fingers for, uh, on his hands, <laughs> it sticks to every football. That's, that's who Larry Fitzgerald is, and that's why he will go down as a first ballot Hall of Famer. And... In my opinion, he's the most iconic player in Arizona Cardinals history, in my opinion, as well. Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins might be uh, taking that one from him, but we'll see how that one ends up. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today, buddy. Uh, No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Bear Down Podcast. That was a very fun one to record. If you want more content from us, head over to our website, beardown.com. You can find columns, articles, and blogs from us over there. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bear Down, and you can find the links to our social media, and we'll also throw Townsend's Instagram down there for the heck of it. That was a fun one, guys. Uh, Townsend, not the worst cameo to make for your first time on, eh? Yeah, yeah that was fun. Yeah. Parsha, any last words, buddy? Um, it was awesome to interview him. You know, the way he just uh, gave explanations, like every, like that five-second play he made it into a five-minute story. You know, it was super detailed. Just another great guy, another great guest. Yeah, well, that'll pretty much do it for us, guys. Once again, I am your host, Chris Malpe. Thank you for tuning in. The grind to 2,000 subscribers is on. Continue to support. Uh, we really appreciate you guys here, and we're just getting kick-started in the summer, so it uh, should be a lot of fun moving forward. Do us a favor, Bears fans. Continue to stay safe. Uh, crazy times in the world right now, but continue to do the best to stay safe. And as always, Bear Down. We'll see you in the next one. Peace.